Sportsnet 590, The Fan. So, no A-list today. But we will do a wake and rake. So a reminder to get your wake and rake submissions in for the 830 block. We'll try to get one wake and rake in this week. But until then, we actually, we don't have much to think about either. We don't have any NHL. We're going to probably a lighter NBA night, given that last night was a busy NBA night. So we're going to be scratching the bottom of the barrel. And that's why we need you to help us out at 830. Uh, For now, though, we will pivot to the NFL. To the top of the barrel. Top of the barrel. Bringing in our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. The top of the barrel. Who He who exists at the top of the barrel is none other than Charles Davis, NFL on CBS. Color analyst. What's going on, Charles? Not a whole lot. How are you guys doing today? It's good to hear your voices, and uh, let's have some fun. Happy February. Yeah, we're doing pretty good. It's uh, one more week of vacation for you, right? Like, you know, we're getting back into the booth for the Super Bowl. Uh, you've experienced most of the NFL playoffs from the couch. Like, uh, how have this these last few weeks been for you? Yeah, the, the couch has been great. That part has been wonderful. But we got back to work this week, um, NFL Network, Senior Bowl, Reese's Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. I think this is my 15th or 16th. And so I've been here since Monday watching these college seniors and guys who are who have graduated because they've relaxed the rules a little bit. If you have graduated and you're eligible, you can participate in the game and they come down here and practice. And, you know, this year what they did was they – they instead of just having teams bring coaching staffs, because in the past it's always been an NFL coaching staff for each team, all right, the Lions and the Jets or whatever, that sort of deal. Now they're trying to help these younger coaches advance. So coordinators are head coaches. Um, position coaches are coordinators. Quality control coaches are position coaches, that sort of a thing from all the different teams in the league. And they blend those staffs together to coach these youngsters. But uh, that's what's going on, game on Saturday. So, yeah, my, my couch time was cut short this week. And then next week we'll do the Super Bowl, as you mentioned. And uh, that's okay, too. We got some couch time. It was time to, re- yeah. time to recharge the batteries and get back at it. Yeah, back-to-back uh, football weekends, and that's important because we don't yeah. have many football weekends uh, for a while. So I'm sure you'll savor these next two. Uh, as True. I mentioned, no shortage of headlines this week in the NFL. Uh, but the biggest one, of course, is the Brady storyline, which looms over everything. Yeah. Uh, Charles, just your reaction to the news and how you best distill the Brady legacy and impact he had on the NFL. Yeah, last year when he announced he was retiring, I didn't believe it. I didn't feel that he really wanted to retire. I, I, I was correct on that one. This one, going into it, I thought he would continue to play. I was pretty emphatic on that. I thought after all he had been through, he would you know, either decide to go back to Tampa or go somewhere, somewhere else and continue to play, and I got that one wrong, and I don't believe we're going to have another comeback. But his impact, his legacy, what he did, he's one of those players now that when I talk in my, in my, in my elderly days, when I'm on the, on the porch, on the rocker, at the home, 
Anybody remember seeing Tom Brady play? Because <laughs> so there's going to be someone mentioning whoever the hot flash is at the time, right? Whoever this 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 kid's going, he's going to be the best ever. Yeah. <laughs> He's no Tom Brady. That's what I'm going to be doing. That's that's the type of impact he's had, you know, the, the number of wins. And what's interesting, if you go back and look at the Super Bowls that he played in, I don't think he played in blowouts. If, I, if I'm not mistaken, he the, played the, the in biggest one. He just win he had yeah. with Kansas City <laughs> was, was when they beat Kansas City. The rest of them were all very close games. And I think that helped cement his legacy because they found ways to win, and he was always central to that. So when you talk about the ultimate winner in, in basketball, it's Bill Russell. You know, 11 rings, 10 fingers. In football, it's Tom Brady. And, and I, I congratulate him, wish him all the best, and we'll see what the next chapter is for him. So, and, and I think everyone will be watching with interest, but the biggest thing is, I'll be I'll be one of those old folks being able to say I saw Tom Brady and saw that error, and be able to fight the youngsters about who the best ever was. Oh, you're you're a man after my own heart. I have actually said aloud, I cannot wait to be old and scream at someone younger when they try to tell me, oh, this guy's better than Brady. Oh, no, he's not. <laughs> I I genuinely cannot wait for that. I almost turned into that guy after the first Patrick Mahomes Super Bowl where people are going, look at this. I'm saying, calm down. We need, we need a decade before we can even start, even start to have uh, these conversations. You know, you talk about the idea of you, 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 you think there's a world where this is it. I still do wonder if you know i just look at the exact situation we saw this year with the 49ers now it worked out perfectly well for brock purdy until he got hurt in the in the championship or the conference championship game there but do you think there's any world where something like that happens a good team loses their starters somewhat late in the season and it's too late to pivot like how hard is it would it be for anybody to jump in at any position, but quarterback where so much of it is the mental load. It's not just the physical aspect of it. Like, do you think it would be possible for somebody like Brady to jump in at week 10 or something like that? If a perfect position opened up with Tom Brady, he's one of those few people in the world where you'd never say never. Right. And, and, and could he do it? The answer is always yes, because it's Tom Brady. Realistically, Everything else is working against him. And I do think that at this stage, he is aware of his legacy as well. He is aware of his words. And you notice that in this retirement thing that he did, he did mention, you know, you only get one, you know, one really good going away thing. So I'll keep this one brief. (laughs) He acknowledged what he had done the year before. And what was really crazy was that happened on the exact day that he announced it the year before. Mm Mm-hmm to the day. So I do think that he's one of those who's really, really aware of who he is, what his legacy, what his words are. And you can get away with that one comeback. You can. But the last thing he wants to be is a boxer. Now, can other people do it? We have seen other people do it. It is hard to do, as you pointed out. It is difficult. And we all love it. We all come in with interest. But rarely does it work out well. And, and I think your point is well taken. At the quarterback position, you're taking on an even extra extra heavy load. So it, it, it's just difficult to envision, difficult to watch and see. You know, and that's why, for the most part, you just don't see it happen that way. 
famously, Charles, you said you don't do domestic, and I'm not asking you to, to yeah. do domestic. Um, but I think it's worth asking the question if there are tragic elements to the Brady story, or when you think back on it, this is is strictly and exclusively heroic. I don't think anything's ever exclusively heroic. It's hard to to really put it that way. Typically, a lot of heroism comes from other circumstances, comes from sometimes tragedy. So it's difficult. It's hard to put it that way. But what he went through that, that, you know, I keep famously saying I won't go to, what he had to go through, that's what we all go through. That's what the world goes through. That's real life. You know, he, he battled through real life stuff. So I, I don't pre, I don't really ascribe heroism to that because he dealt with stuff that we, we all deal with on a daily basis across the world. Everyone has it, and people have to go to work every day and, and go through all those sorts of things. So, no, you know, he, he did what he had to do. His world was, was going on the way that it was. He battled his professional world as best he could, but let's be honest about it. That guy answered the bell. You know, when it was time to go to work for the most part, he went to work. Now, there were times when you went, okay, well, what the heck's going on with other people? But with him, always in shape, always ready to go, (laughs) attention to detail. And it wasn't just because he was screaming at his offensive lineman, you know. It wasn't just because he was screaming at his offensive coordinator. This guy competed. I mean, and you go all the way back to being in high school and people doubting him, and then he go went to Michigan, and then he gets to Michigan. They bring in this high-ranked, you know, recruit, and, and they played him, even though Tom Brady really should have been the starting quarterback. No ifs, ands, and buts. He handled that. But when things got tough there at Michigan, they always scream, "Tom, rescue us!" <laughs> then he gets doubted and goes to the pros and gets drafted in the sixth round. And, you know, we can go on and on all day. This guy was the ultimate competitor, the ultimate battler. And Baker Mayfield is very famous for having that chip on his shoulder, and that's what that's what fuels him. I don't think Tom Brady advertised it as much, but the chip was just as big, if not bigger. Although he did, you know, I think you guys all know the story of him telling Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, his, his rookie year, Hi, Mr. Kraft, I'm Tom Brady. (laughs) This is the best decision you ever made. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he was right. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's, honestly, it's amazing. Like, uh, especially when you take it back to the college stuff and the way he came in and coming in for Bledsoe. And then Bledsoe happened to come in for him in that that first run, uh, getting the job back. The AFC AFC championship. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and, and you know, know, when Bledsoe came in that championship game in the first quarter, Tom Brady hurt his ankle. And Bledsoe led New England to victory and to the Super Bowl. I don't know how much you remember, but you talk about a firestorm kicked up about oh, yeah. who's going to start the Super Bowl. And there was a big, big push that Drew Bledsoe should start the Super Bowl. Experience, he's earned his job back, he should get it, blah, 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 blah. And Bill Belichick, early Bill Belichick, uh, is uh, Drew Bledsoe? What? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you made the right call. Cool. I think you made the right call on that one. Uh, I'm going to do something crazy. I know we're still a week away from the Super Bowl, but I'm going to ask you about it. Uh, the Eagles. 
Is it concerning that they haven't been tested in so long with Hertz under center? I mean, you look at the playoff games they've had, and I'm not going to take anything away from them. You can only beat who's in front of you. But, you know, they had the the tight game against the Giants then the regular season, but they weren't playing for anything there really before that. yeah, they were up twenty two. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And then the 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 last kind of tight game they had with Hertz under center was all the way back in the middle of December uh, against the Bears. Like, is there a concern that this team hasn't been punched in the mouth in a while? Like, it's the old Mike Tyson. Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Now, the flip side of that, of course, is yeah, they're that good. That's why they haven't been tested, and they're going to look this good in the Super Bowl. But how worrying is it that it's been that long for them since they've really been pushed? Yeah, truthfully, I'm not worried about that part at all because where they got tested was when Hertz, Jalen Hurts was injured. And then when he missed time, and they didn't play very well, okay? And, and that became a story. And let me just say, I do know this for a fact, having lived it to a, a certain degree. All the stories you hear about the city of Philadelphia and the sports fanaticism <laughs> and the pressure and the critique and this, that, and Santa Claus getting pelted with snowballs and all that, every bit of it's true and then some. So trust me on this. When they lost those games and sports talk radio kicked in, the sky had truly fallen. All right. <laughs> they were the best team in the league. They were still tracking for number one seed. People were losing their mind. They operate under a different pressure there. So I don't worry about the fact that, as you point out, they haven't been tested in a while because you did point out they have been tested. But it's been a, well, one of the games our crew was lucky enough to do was at Indianapolis. And that was right after Jeff Saturday had taken over. He had be, they had beaten Las Vegas in Las Vegas, and so now everyone was going crazy because the Jeff Saturday thing was a, was a thing. It shouldn't be happening this way. They beat Las Vegas. They're coming home. Here comes Philadelphia. Now I'll be darned if they didn't play Philadelphia off their feet. But Jalen Hurts put the team on his back and found a way to win late. And those types of games carry through for you no matter when they played them. And right now they are just physically dominant. They are mentally dominant, and they are playing with that 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 confidence, and you just see it. Where if you're six seven down, you walk like you're seven seven. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's how they feel, and that's how they are playing. So I'm not worried about that part at all. I think that they've 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 had enough of it. The city gives it to them. There's been doubted plenty of times along the way. Heck, the head coach, his first press conference couldn't have been couldn't have been worse. His, his introduction to Philadelphia people, if you ever get a chance, go back and Google Nick Sirianni's initial press conference. <laughs> You'll say to yourself after you watch it, did they go back and rescind the offer for him to be the head coach? <laughs> and he has come back from that and, and taken it. And by, and by the way, he will use that press conference with his own team to say, hey, we've all been doubted. I gave them reason to doubt me. Watch this. I was awful. But we can all recover from things. We can all get better. We, you know, all the stuff that you have to do. He's hit every right motivational button along the way. But the big thing is this team grasped onto it and believed into him and bought it because they very well could have turned their backs on him. I mean, they, he gave them a speech his first year about 
planting flowers and how they germinate and all this, that, and everything. And I'm sure sitting in the room, guys were like, where is he going with this? But I'll be darned if somehow they didn't figure it out, go on a winning streak and go to the playoffs. And now people in Philadelphia talk about, man, what a great speech Sirianni gave. You know, that gardening speech was better. Yo, that was big stuff. <laughs> Hey, how you want your cheese steak? You want whiz, with whiz, without whiz? How you want it, man? That's Sirianni. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> that could have gone so far south, but it didn't, and now they're fully cemented. So long answer to your question, I'm not worried about the fact that they haven't played close games. I don't think that's a huge deal for them. For Kansas City with the team that they've had this year, I think it's been a big deal. Because they had so many new parts. And for them to gut out a win against Cincinnati, I know the officials were involved and everybody's going crazy on that. The memes have been kind of funny, even though I I don't like it. I have to admit there have been times I've been cracking up looking at some of the memes. But bottom line is Patrick Mahomes had a brand-new receiving core. And then at the end of that game, how many receivers could you name for Kansas City? No. Right. And and somehow they found a way to win it. He's on one leg. He guts it out with the run at the end. I hated that for Joseph Asai. The penalty was correct on that one, though. He, he was clearly in the white on it, getting pushed, kicked the field goal and go. To me, that was a big deal for Kansas City to find a way, especially against the Cincinnati team that appeared to have had their number. Uh, you nailed it on uh, Nick Sirianni. He's definitely an interesting bird, Charles. Um, with Mahomes, I, I actually... When you talk about Mahomes, I think you can talk about Brady a little bit. And with the Brady story, it's this like singular force, right? This guy that overcomes everything. Doesn't really matter what the challenge is. He finds a way with whomever he's playing with. It's not often the most talented team. There were great teams, sure, that won Super Bowls, of course. But Brady was the common denominator. And now, you know, the, the NFL grew so much with the Tom Brady era. And maybe it's because that story, the the one singular force versus the team that is near perfect is the most interesting sort of Super Bowl where it's can he, can this one player overcome this massive challenge? And I think that's what we're seeing here with Patrick Mahomes versus a near perfect team. Do you see that sort of being the the main storyline for the Super Bowl? Can Patrick Mahomes, who's now the best quarterback in the NFL, overcome what is maybe the best team in the NFL? That's a great one, and 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 it's and it's a forceful Philadelphia team, a Philadelphia team with the best offensive line in football, with a running game that that will tr- truly chew you up and wear you down and beat you up over four quarters. But they love to throw it first before they come back to grinding you in the running game. And Kansas City, so many question marks as you pointed out, so much uncertainty. How many of these receivers will he have? In this game, you know, we're still waiting for injury reports. They don't have to give them this week, right, because they're not playing. So the injury reports start next week. Will Kadarius Tony be available? He's been wholly unreliable his entire NFL career. Every time you see him flash and play well, hey, that's hey, that's, that's why you grabbed it. Oh, as easy as he turned again. He's out. Okay. And then Juju Smith-Schuster. Okay. He hit his heights in Pittsburgh. He's not come close to hitting them since. But they need him. Will he be available? Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I don't know about you guys. I'm just going to say it. And, and, and I'm sitting on my couch watching it. And I wasn't doing the game. So no one heard me other than the dog sitting around. And I was like, that is absolutely the best game he has played in his NFL career. No ifs, ands, or buts. And with Marquez Valdez-Scantling, I was very used to, even when he played well, he was going to have at least a key drop in the game. <laughs> okay? He can be wide open, 
running 10 yards past us, and he would drop the football. He did not do that in that game. In fact, that catch he made, contested in the end zone, probably the best catch that he's made. Okay, so he played well. Can he continue to elevate that and do that in the Super Bowl? Because you know Kelsey is the guy. But the rest of them, who's going to step forward? Mahomes willed them to victory once. To your point, can he do it again? And we have to think the ankle will be better in this game because of two weeks as opposed to one. But it's a lot because don't forget, they're also dealing with, for Philadelphia, the best pass rush in the NFL, the most sacks in the NFL this year. Really good Kansas City offensive line overall. Their biggest weak point, their offensive tackles are a step slow. Mm-hmm. Here comes the pesh pressure off the edge. Hassan Reddick off of the edge. Brandon Graham off of the edge. Uh, Josh Sweat off of the edge. Then you've got inside Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox, and Dominican Sue, Linval Joseph. A rotation of guys coming at you. This is going to be fun to watch the, the chess match because Kansas City's really been un, not just unable to run the ball, although Pacheco runs very fiercely. It's almost unwilling to run the ball. They want to throw it. How will they combat this Philadelphia pass rush with their throwing game? Uh, quickly, before we let you go, Charles, I want to ask you about the two coaching hires in the NFL uh, this past week. Uh, you can kind of take it in whichever direction you want, which, whichever one uh, jumps out to you. But we got D'Amico Ryan's going to the going back to the Texans and wonder what, why you think that might be the right move or wrong move and whether or not he prioritized Houston over Denver, uh, who turned around and hired Sean Payton and had to spend a boatload of money in order to do that. When you think about that, that storyline, how those two coaches ended up where they were, what jumps out? off the page for you just a couple things very quickly D'Amico Ryan's I think went with his heart remember his playing career began where Houston yep. that's where he was a, was an NFL player had success there I think he was a rookie of the year there a very good football player and from the day he hit town everyone said you yeah, know that guy should be a coach one day okay he's always had that in him and here he is coming full circle back to where his heart takes him plus he gets a six-year contract and patience should be the watchword. It hasn't been in Houston. They fired the last two coaches. D'Amico Ryans will be the fourth head coach on opening day in four years for Houston. Think about that now. Jeez. Okay. But he got a six-year contract. Bottom line is, if they are dumb enough to fire him at the end of one year this time, <laughs> he gets an extra five years of money. So no matter what, he doesn't lose. But I think that patience is the deal there. All you want to see out of them is improvement. I think that they will under D'Amico Ryan. Flip it over to Denver. However, they ended up getting to Sean Payton, and Sean's going to get a boatload of money. And will he fix Russell Wilson? And will they collaborate like him and Drew Brees? All that is fine, but the whole situation is different for one reason. This Denver team was supposed to compete for a playoff spot this year. That didn't come close to happening. You're expecting Sean Payton to come in and right away have Denver competing for a playoff spot. There is no patience in this hire for Sean Payton. So, yes, he's coming in with trumpets blaring and and they're throwing a parade and we got the best coach and all that. That's wonderful. In Denver Broncos country, if they're not competing for a playoff spot, people will be up in arms quickly because the Broncos are a great franchise that is used to playing for competing for the playoffs. Haven't been since their last Super Bowl when they beat Carolina. It's almost stunning to hear that that sentence uttered. And just leave you with this. Congratulations to the new head coach of the Denver Broncos. 
You get to play Patrick Mahomes twice a year, Justin <laughs> Herbert twice a year. Let's see how that goes for you. Yeah. And I'm not saying the Sean Payton and crew can't do it, but the urgency is off the charts, and you really don't know where you are with your quarterback down. He's at an age where if it's close to a year that we just saw, they got to figure out going another direction, but they're wedded to him big time with a contract. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah, I think the feeling in the markets will be a little bit different, probably a little bit more unanimous approval going on in Houston. But uh, either way, I think both coaches nailed it. Peyton gets the money he wants, uh, and D'Amico Ryans gets the opportunity he wants with six years to build that team up. It should be interesting to track both those stories. Charles, we appreciate you coming on. Enjoy the Senior Bowl. We'll talk next week. Full Super Bowl preview. We're looking forward to that and your call. Uh, Looking forward to next week. I appreciate it. Hey, Brent, thanks for jumping in today, okay? Happy to do it. I'll, always around uh, whenever whenever they need a hand. So, yeah, happy to jump in yeah. on a Friday. Just, uh, I'm the same way as you are. By the way, save <laughs> me one of those rocking chairs at the home, and we'll scream at everybody. You should have seen Tom Brady. There we go. Okay. There we go. Yeah, we got to get you two together talking Tom in, in uh, a couple decades. That'll be fun. That'll be great. You guys be good. Take care now. Thanks, Charles. Talk next week. That's Charles Davis, our insider, brought to you by the Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Didn't think Charles Davis would be a big memes guy, but... Uh, he likes them. He he's... said he chuckled at a few. He, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Now, one thing, I just him mentioning the trumpets blaring with the Sean Payton hiring, now I just want in-arena entertainment idea, uh, free, take it or leave it, you have to take it, uh, mm-hmm. Denver Broncos. Any big fourth and one call, fourth and two, they go for it. It's like, no, no, they're pulling the putt team off. Get the Edwin Diaz yeah. trumpet music, just like uh, just like they got going on in City Field there. Get them blaring for, uh, say, for Sean Payton. If, if Edwin Diaz uh, proved anything, it's that trumpets play. I think it could play. You're right for the Denver Broncos. Let's get to something to chew on. Uh, brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Mm, yum, 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 yum. Perfect. Ugh, no, perfect, don't. Perfect, perfect. I, I, guys, I will do whatever you want here. No more of that. <laughs> yum, the yum, li- yum. There, that's there we better. go. Okay. There we go. On the latest episode the of pitch the pitchforks are down on the deck slide now. There we go. <laughs> um, latest episode of the new This League Uncut podcast. Chris Haynes, NBA insider for TNT and Bleacher Report, provided an update on the trade status of one OG Ananobi. Uh, Haynes identified the Pelicans and Grizz as two teams currently vying for Ananobi's services. He also offered some insight on the notion that. OG wants out of Toronto. Let's go to that clip quickly now. New Orleans Pelicans are definitely high on him. And so the Pelicans definitely feel like uh, he can be a fit within their system and with their scheme and and their personnel. You know, there's going to be serious pursuit. Do I think he's ultimately moved? I do. I do. Because I, I think, I think OG himself off of what I'm hearing, he would like a change of scenery himself. There's some boxing out going in on at what what I mean by that. Let me explain the boxing out. Memphis does not want New Orleans getting OG, and New Orleans does not want Memphis <laughs> getting OG. That is a fact. So this is uh, kind of the perfect scenario. Perfect. Like if I'm thinking about what's gonna go, what's gonna happen with OG. The the, the first thing is, does OG want to be here? If not, trade the guy. Mm-hmm. Like let's just get this over yep. with. Let's get the return. He's a very, very prized asset. If he wants out, say less. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. But I'm also thinking about, like, I kind of want to continue cheering for OG Ananobi. For sure. I'm, kinda, I'm, I'm into it, right? I want to I wanna still, despite him not wanting to be here, I still want to be a fan of this guy. And I can get behind 
uh, cheering for either the Pelicans or the Grizzlies in the Western Conference. I like that. But I also like the bo- was it boxing out. Yeah, box out, boys. Let's bidding see it. Like war. I, bidding war between these two teams with a bunch of talent, the need and want to get better, desperation. These two teams haven't done anything for years at in the NBA and in the Western Conference. So fight it out. Let's see it. Let's get your best offers. Let's compare them. You guys can go through each other first <laughs> and then send the best one to Masai Ujiri and we can finally put this storyline to bed. I don't know how good his auctioneer voice is, but I want to go like, hey, Herb Jones over here. Hey, I'm predicting first in 2027. <laughs> hey, like, I just want to see the offers ramp up. Please, please, please. This is exactly what you want. OG is not a guy you should be trying to trade in the sense of he is perfect, under contract, the exact type of guy who can help a low floor team or a high ceiling team. Like He's great in that regard, but to your point if he wants out if you're deciding this is the point where okay this is the the point of no return van vliet's gonna go as well make the best deal you can right now and if there are teams who could have a bidding war against each other that's the best way possible to get the return sometimes the decision isn't yours sometimes Mm -hmm. you don't have full control and if og wants to be elsewhere and teams are going to break their backs in order to get them it's a good spot to be in and a spot the toronto raptors have to take advantage of we'll talk about that and more with William Liu, host of the Raptors show, after the break. Sports. Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. It's Justin and Brent today. Uh, we just gave you some OG news on the other side of the break. I mean, there's OG news. We stole it from somebody else that yeah. was giving it to you, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah, this is, it's kind of what, that's where our bread's buttered the last uh, <laughs> month. Someone says something about a Raptor? Let's talk about it. So we talked about uh, Chris Haynes' report that uh, little squabble between the Pels and the Grizz over Ananobi Services. Um which, you know, makes a lot of sense for us. I think it makes a lot of sense for Ananobi, makes a lot of sense for the Raptors, Pels, Grizz. It all makes a lot of sense, and frankly, you can get behind it six days before the trade deadline. Uh, We also got some news yesterday that, uh, I don't know how fresh this is. In fact, I think this, if you're willing to uh, get into the where there's smoke, there's fire uh, situation, I think you could probably have connected these dots already, but according to some reports, the Raptors were close to acquiring DeAndre Ayton from the Phoenix Suns in a sign-and-trade last summer. He did, didn't he sign this? Wasn't there a sign-and-trade in Indiana and back to it was Matt, or it was the uh, the uh, Yemi offer sheet there you go. with DeAndre Ayton. Anyway, Ayton's future seems still murky. Ayton has been connected to the Raptors before. If they're adding, maybe Ayton's name is out there. We know that Phoenix has been involved or has interest in some of the assets the Raptors have. So this this the carousel continues to churn. Uh, we're going to continue talking about more and more things with the Raptors. We're going to do that with William Liu in a second. But uh, we can go. We can kind of revisit OG for a little bit if you yeah. want, because we kind of rushed through that conversation. It's it's kind of too bad it got to this point, but it also shouldn't be surprising. Like, again, where there's smoke, there's fire. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about OG's happiness with his current situation 
forever, it seems. And it seems like he envisions himself as someone more than a 3 and D guy, more than just a defensive specialist, more than the guy who playing on an elite team could win defensive player of the year one day. It seems like he wants to be a focal point in an offense. I don't necessarily see that in New Orleans or Memphis. Maybe he sees that with his next stop, wherever he does land. But he seems to want something more than what he is. And I think ultimately, if he can't shake that, and I think we've arrived at this point, Mm -hmm. well, then you're going to have to do what's best for your franchise. And what's best is moving on from a player who doesn't want to be what he's best at or how he fits your situation the best. Yeah, and far be it for me to question any of this reporting, but I do wonder how much of it is OG, if he's going to be here would like to be more than a three and D defensive player of the year guy would like to have more of a chance to, you know, run the offense, get his shot, look for his a little bit more if he's going to be in a situation like this. But I think that in a world where you mentioned the scenarios that are laid out in front of him, the teams he could potentially going to, he's not going to be that guy. And it's like any of us in life. Like if you're in a situation that is perfect for you and everything's going well, you're willing to do some things you might not want to do, be it get up at a time for a job or you're going to live in an area you might not want to live. Like you're willing to make certain sacrifices for the perfect scenario. But if it's not that, you're saying, well, hold on. Then why don't I just do what I want to do? And I think that's kind of the crossroads you're at. I do think there's a world where if this Raptors experiment or season had gone the way some of us talked ourselves into it going, where they're in that four or five spot in the East and they're kind of in the mix and they're battling, I don't think you're getting these reports about OG. But to be this on this team, why? Why? So I completely understand where he's coming from. Yeah, I think you nailed it. You would accept concessions to be a part of something great, to be a part of something special to you can grow your name you can grow your brand when you're in the spotlight but this year the spotlight is not going to hover around the toronto raptors for any other reason than the trade deadline and them being potentially power brokers over the next six days that's how the raptors are going to get their shine this year in the the, it's not going to happen in any other way because they're just not that team this year and it's also an interesting conversation when you look at fred van vliet because Fred has been kind of vocal about his role this year. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been as much of an issue lately. Maybe it's because the team is uh, is dealing with a little bit thinner of a roster, if you really want to call it that, uh, with OG and OB going out. But he's kind of stepped more into a focal role. At least the numbers would back that up, even if ne- not necessarily Nick Nurse's game planning would back that up. But he seems to be also someone who wants to play a more focal role in an offense, or it's just, hey, I'm not really happy being a point guard running, you know, running point, being the facilitator on a team that is not going to win. I'm a winner. Fred Van Vliet's always thought himself of that. And if I'm going to be a traditional point guard who's going to make everyone else look and perform better, then I want to play on a team that's actually going to win. Yeah, when you look at Van Vliet, again, it's about setting himself up for what's ahead of him. It's what's going to make me more valuable to teams across the league. Is it going to be a quote-unquote, not that this is him, but is it going to be a good stats guy on a bad Raptors team, or is it going to be prove you can be part of a successful backcourt, prove that you can be part of a machine, prove that you can play both on and off the ball, whatever that team needs in the playoffs, and going on a deep run will allow you to be viewed better, I'd imagine, throughout the league as well. So it's about setting himself up, and I, I, I want to be I don't begrudge him for that at all. How could you, given everything he's given to this franchise? But I think that's where you're finding himself now, or he's finding himself now. And all these things are interconnected, right? So if OG has as much as, 
left the organization at this point. I mm-hmm. think if we're going to like handicap it, I think over a 50% chance that he gets dealt at this point. I think actually if there's a much bidding, more than 50%. If there's a bidding war, it should be way over 50%. Yes. And, and I think that number has dropped on Fred. I would say it's far less than 50% on a Fred deal because I think you can still do it in the summer, and I think there's still a future perhaps there with Fred. But with those numbers going uh, or going the way that they're going, I think it does affect Gary Trent Jr. Because if you're going to do fire sale stuff, if you're going to go mm-hmm. on a full liquidation sale, then you're kind of threatening the next era, which is the Scotty Barnes era being rushed in by, of course, Scotty Barnes mm-hmm. and Precious Achua maybe adjacently. So I think because the OG situation is where it is and Fred's future still in doubt a little bit, it's like, okay, Gary, can you can earn your money here. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's not all the opportunity in the world like it might be for OG out there for you. And if you want to be the number one option from a shooting perspective, mm-hmm. a guy who gets paid a lot of money, maybe it's more likely that Gary Trent Jr. finds the happiness he might have been without when he first arrived in Toronto. And he thinks, hey, I can be the guy who can grow into my best self as an NBA player and make a ton of money in the process if I just stick with the Raptors. So if OG's odds being traded going up, I kind of see Gary Trent Jr. is going down here. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. The other part of that as well, again, if you're looking at it specifically from a personal perspective for Gary Trent Jr., is the idea of him elevating himself as the top shooting option on a team. All that does, if he's able to perform in that role, is make him more interesting to outside suitors that if the Raptors aren't able to get it going and they're looking at themselves at the deadline next year, you can say, okay, now we have an even more valuable chip as well. So I think that can kind of help both sides. The other part of this as well that I think of and I think you need to be cognizant of in terms of the way you're building this team, and I'm not going to pretend I have the answer on this. We obviously have a lot more track record with a guy like Siakam than we do with Barnes. Is just if that is going to be the two that you build around and it continues to look like that is what's going to happen. And there are other pieces. Talk about Trent, talk about Achua, but those are the two temp poles. If Van Vliet is gone and if OG is gone, that's what you're left with is Mm -hmm. those two temp poles there is just what exactly do you have in those guys in terms of leadership in terms of being the number one guy pascal siakam has proven from a basketball standpoint he can be that guy we talked about his all-star bona fides he's been that guy having every defender shaded towards him being the focal point from a from other teams perspective he's been able to carry that but how much of what you look at has happened this year do you place on him and on van vliet as well if they're supposed to be the two leaders on this team how much do you place on them that they haven't been able to turn this or stabilize this situation a little bit and i think those are the questions you have to have going forward with Barnes I think it's too early it's a guy who's in his second season I I don't think he knows what he is as an adult yet let alone what we know about him as a professional or anything along those lines but for Siakam obviously the die is a little bit more cast and I think that it's just you have to really understand what you're getting yourself into because Van Vliet has carried so much of that mantle and if he's not going to be here who's going to be able to do that and can it be Pascal and Scotty despite how bad this season has been how disappointing it is how it's tested Masai Ujiri, Bobby Webster's process. It's tested the culture they've installed. It's tested everything about this franchise. I still think they're in a decent position here. I actually think they're in an advantageous position because they have what you need in order to reset a roster, which is prime assets. They have the skeleton, the framework of a very good team. They just don't have the depth to support it. So if they can get behind, hey, we can retool here, we can move forward, you can put yourself in a position to turn it around very, very quickly. And with a good draft coming up, with a good draft, uh, a management team that has proven it can draft well and make the right decisions at the top of drafts, I think they're in a good spot. So right now the priority in my 
priority in my mind should be let's accrue as many futures assets as possible and then you're ready to take advantage of drafts and you're ready to strike if you find another impact player and all of a sudden you have Siakam, Barnes, Achua, that impact player and the draft and futures capital to go out there and make a splashy deal yourself. I think the problem that they could get into is doubling down on what they have, believing more in what they have than they should. And if you start spending all the money now, it might limit you in the future. So everything that they have to that they do right now, it's got to be done like fully thought out. It's got to be, you got to make the right decisions for you, not the legacy of what we've seen and what we've had before. But I think if they make the right decisions over the next couple but the next week here mm-hmm. and months into the summer, this organization can turn this around very, very quickly. So just hearing what you're saying there, and I'm, I think I'm in agreement with you. You're out on the idea of Aiton and a couple of picks like that is, that doesn't intrigue you as much nearly as a kind of really, really futures head and laden deal where you're getting young, play, whether it be from the Pelicans uh, in that, in that, or the Grizz and that kind of bidding war scenario. Like the idea of a Deandre Aiton, it, it is nice if you were, if you are someone who is convinced that Siakam, Aiton, and Barnes is good enough to carry you to the promised land, then you should make that deal. I am not going to be convinced of that at all. Uh, it's a really little thing. I like my seven-foot guys to dunk the ball. And DeAndre Aiton, uh, <laughs> afraid to do that for some reason. So that's one reason why I'm out on him. But I just want, and I realize how young he is. It's not that he is not a future person but he's also a guy who's getting paid he's into his, his like this is not somebody who has a small cap hold on your team if you're going out and getting eight and it is it is kind of casting the die of what your team's going to be so i would prefer to stay away from that i just want futures 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 give me like give me all those trades the brooklyn nets did eight thousand years ago that set themselves up for success of just Future first round picks. I don't care if they're basically a decade from now. Those ones almost always end up being the best. That's what I'm trying to do is just get as much draft capital as I can for OG. Because the other problem is, is that with how quick players can help you in the NBA is you getting someone. Yes, it can help you set yourself up, but more likely than not, you're just going to be in a scenario where next year you're potentially having this exact same conversation. Yeah. Until the uh, Raptors do make a deal, the big news, however, though, is Pascal Siakam being maybe snubbed for the all-star game. And we, we are connected now with Will Liu, host of the Raptors show, uh, who can weigh in on that Pascal, not making the all-star team, uh, uh, is that uh, is that an egregious error by the NBA and, the, and those voting on it, Will? Or uh, is there a case for the others who did make the all-star team in front of him? Look, this, there's definitely a case for the other guys as well. I mean, it's not like he was cut by nobody, sir. But at the same time, I mean, when you think about it, it's, it's just the record, right? The Raptors' record is just so bad. Um, that's not to say that there aren't other bad teams. Um, who have sent all-stars, you know, um, LeBron's in this game, Zion's in this game, um, you know, DeMar's in this game. A lot of these other teams aren't really, like, uh, top of the conference or anything like that. But, yeah, I mean, I think when you think about it, like, his numbers are excellent, of course. Um, I think the way he played at the start of the season, he was a lock to make the team. Um, but I think when Pascal's slowing down just a little bit in the last month here due to sort of whatever reasons you want to put on it for me, I think it's probably just like being overextended with the minutes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's tough. You don't really see a lot of teams um, who are like 12th or 13th in the conference sending players to the all-star game. So I think it's really just a case of just that. Yeah. It feels like if the numbers didn't diminish, you you wouldn't be able to keep him from the team, but the numbers did diminish and the record certainly has stayed diminished. Um 
you know, the OG stuff is hot right now. I mean, I think anyone who's uh, considering themselves an NBA insider has had something on OG recently. Uh, and when there's smoke, there's fire, at least it seems. So where would you set the odds now on an OG trade? And have we reached the point where it would be almost negligent to not deal him given the interest and what could come back in return? It definitely looks that way. I mean, when you have a situation right now where OG seems to be the hottest name on the market, multiple teams are interested, you're seeing, um, you know, the ask of three first-round picks is actually getting met by certain teams. Now, all of a sudden, you have a situation where the front office can get other teams bidding against each other. Um, Yeah, it makes perfect sense. To be honest, I I think for me, um, it might be even awkward not to... (laughs) Not to go through this deadline and, and move him. Like, imagine we we do all these shows and, and he actually just comes back and he's just like, what? I didn't, <laughs> you know, I didn't ask for a trade. You know, OG with, with the fact that he's so, um, you know, soft-spoken soft and quiet can always claim that as his defense. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. It definitely makes a lot of sense. You hear more about OG than you hear about other guys. I'm sure there is speculation for Fred and, and Pascal. But, yeah, if you could turn OG and OB right now into, what? three picks or you can turn him into two picks and a really good prospect. Or if you can like, I don't know, flip him into another position where you can have a young starter under contract for multiple years. You got to do it. Like some of these trade offers right now just sound almost wildly exaggerated. Right. (laughs) But at the same time, when you, when you see what the market is based off of what happened last summer with Rudy Gobert or with uh, Donovan Mitchell, I mean, those are better players are more accomplished but at the same time like you're hearing in the same neighborhood as some of those trades and so it almost be kind of silly not to do it yeah that's a, that's where i fall on it it's like when with the lesser versions of some of these trades you say okay i can see both sides of it but if it's like if it's going to be three first rounders or like you said two and a plus young prospect it's like how can you how can you not do that you know not so much i want to ask you about van vliet in terms of his trade value but i want to ask just like how much he can help obviously he has not had the year he's wanted this year uh this year in particular like 2023 it's been rough for him how much do you think he could help a team you know we've seen him be both versions of fred in the playoffs right like we remember the finals and we remember after the kid was born but uh you know i know some of us try to forget but i remember what it was like before the kid was born in the playoffs for him how much do you think he can help a playoff team you know presuming it's one that's the the right fit for him yeah i think it depends on fit i think if a playoff team is trading for him to be like their number one or number two options like that's going to be a situation where they're going to struggle right because we've seen what that looks like with toronto uh in the last couple years here as well um I think, you know, when you think about teams like, again, you've seen them loosely connected with the Lakers or loosely connected with uh, the Clippers. Those teams, it makes more sense, right? Because they have the their established stars, right? You have obviously LeBron and AD um, in LA with the with the, Clip, well, with the Lakers. And then obviously with the Clippers, you have, you know, their, their 2019 Raptors uh, knockoff team <laughs> that they're building over there. Um yeah, for Fred to be in that, those situations where he can come in, set up plays, you know, be low turnover, knock down threes, make the occasional pick and roll play, that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, but I don't think a lot of teams are really going to be trading for him with the intent that he would be one of their, like, I don't know, I would say third option at best. Um, let's just say that. But I mean, at the same time, though, I mean, there is definitely a market for his skill set. I mean, I think even for him, um, his numbers are starting to round back into form. Again, like the, the overall numbers never look that great in terms of the shooting percentages for Fred. But you think about the last two months here, like it's really close to where it was at the start of the um, at last season when he made the All Star team, and like 
whatever. I mean, I, I think overall in the season, it, it, he definitely got going a little bit too late. And I think that that kind of torpedoed his value here. But like, yeah, I'm looking at the last 23 games for Fred. He's averaging 43% shooting from the field, 36% from three, averaging 22 points per game, five rebounds, seven assists, two steals, a block. Like, that's pretty good, you know? That's not that's not that far from where he was an All Star last season. It's just a few percentages off from three. So he's actually turned it around. It's just really like I guess the rest of the Raptors haven't really done the same, or other guys have slowed down. So on the overall picture, it hasn't really impacted the bottom line. But yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. There's good value for for Fred um, in terms of the trade values. But yeah, at the same time, it's a weird one. OG makes is like a plug and play for most star contendings teams because he's going to come in and play three and D. For for Fred, less so. I think it probably is one of those things where if a team adds him, it's more in the offseason where they look to sign and trade for him or maybe just outright sign him and then see what they can build around him. I, I hear that, but let, let's just dream. He goes to the Lakers for a second. I cannot, and you spend more time around these guys than, well, I don't spend any time around them. So obviously you spend more time around them than me, but like, I cannot think of a teammate more generated in a lab to irk Fred Van Vliet than LeBron. And I want to be clear. I'm like a huge LeBron guy, but as he's got older, the histrionics, like we saw the no foul call stuff uh, uh, like a week or so ago, I would just from a, from a not having to cover it or enjoy it standpoint, I would like to watch those two interact on a basketball court. Cause, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe you could tell me it goes smoother than I would think, but uh, those two don't seem to uh, mesh uh, personality-wise. I don't know. Uh, that seems full. Yeah, I, I can see that a little bit, but I also think at the same time, like he's Fred's LeBron. Smart guy. Yeah, he's LeBron. Yeah. He, he, he'll fall in line, you know. Um, <laughs> Fair. Yeah, he's not Jared Smith. He'll fall in line. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Uh, last one for you, Will. Uh, just like in general, when looking at return, um, should the return? assets be geared towards supporting Siakam's timeline or the Scotty Barnes timeline, or you're desperate to have it support both? I think I'm, I'm desperate for it to support both. I think, you know, that's the nice thing with the OG trade packages right now is when you're thinking about them, a lot of these deals involve young starters coming back, essentially replacing that spot, but also having the ability to um, stock one or two, you know, draft picks. That's really going to help your depth in future years and also realign yourself with the future timeline um, around Scotty. But to be honest, I, I really don't see an urgency to to pick one or the other at the moment. I don't think it's like too much of a risk to be able to re-sign Pascal, especially with the way this the season is going. It doesn't feel like he's going to make all NBA either. Mm. So, you know, you're not worried as much about the super max. I think the regular max for Pascal is more than, more than fair. Um, and, yeah, it's not like I'm seeing him slow down either. So I think there's probably is going to be an overlap of like three, four years here where they can both be very productive players and you don't necessarily have to pick one over the other right now. Um, but in, in any case, I think any trade involving OG can probably service both those timelines. Um, so I'm not necessarily limiting myself to like only picks or only players, you know? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, could be a massive, massive week for the Toronto Raptors. And of course, William Liu will be covering it all on the Raptors show every day at 2 p.m. on Sportsnet 590. The fan will look forward to that and we'll look forward to catching up again next week on Friday after the day of the deadline. We'll get your opinions on everything. Thanks again, Will. Appreciate it. Uh, that's William Liu, host of the Raptors show. After the break, uh, we got Greg Wyshynski from Sunrise, Florida, site of the 2023 NHL All-Star Game. We'll do... Everything All-Star and everything league-wide with Greg Wyshynski after the break. And uh, 
just a reminder, Wake and Rake selections. We need those for the 830 block. I see your tennis bets coming in. Let's get another sport, though. No, Neil from Newfoundland's hot. We need to stay hot. Neil from Newfoundland will do Wake and Rake at 830. Wyshynski next. It's the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.